Hello, and welcome to Thriving in the Age of Disruption. Have you ever wondered what it takes to persist in building up a business when loud voices around you are giving nothing but discouragement? Today, Dr. Ramesh catches up with Mr. Anil Dagia, a successful life coach and trainer who was driven to quit his cushy and high-paying IT career to start his own entrepreneurial journey with Fifth Element, based in Mumbai, India. In this conversation with Dr. Ramesh, Anil generously shares his insights wrapped in interesting analogies around what it takes to make that big jump into entrepreneurship and how to lead, manage crisis, and leverage the structure of thinking to bring about real shifts to be more effective in life. Welcome, Anil, to our podcast, Thriving in the Age of Disruption. We are delighted to have you here. I'm currently in India, Mumbai, as a life coach and trainer who teaches people to become life coaches. This journey started somewhere in 2011. I started learning linguistic programming myself, and then gradually I switched over from the IT profession into this as my means for livelihood. That's been my passion for almost 11 plus years now. Wonderful. I'm looking to create with the listeners that entrepreneurship is not just about starting and running a business. Firstly, it's about having an entrepreneurial mindset. And that is a mindset where you're being resourceful to look at a problem. You're looking for solutions and you're able to manage the risk as well as to create value. I'd like to explore your own entrepreneurial mindset, how you became an entrepreneur, the key motivations, the key turning points, the challenges along the way, if any. It's not as if I've been thinking about becoming an entrepreneur for a long time or in a short time. Well, I just jumped into it. Quite a long time before that, when I joined the IT well, I was passionate about my work and I excelled at what I do and I soon gained the reputation of double the government projects. Great. Now, what does this mean? I was getting the attention from my bosses. I was getting the biggest bonuses, just salary increments, right? So, huge ego boost. But I was paying a price for it, which at that point of time, I didn't realize was a heavy price. What is a price? The price was in terms of my time and what happens with my time. How my time gets controlled by my bosses, by the project, by the organization. Going to the extent where one day I am ill, I'm unwell, so unwell, I have to be on bed rest. I don't have the energy to get off the bed. My boss calls me up saying that, hey, the super boss is upset. He's saying that if you have to bring London on the stretcher, but he has to come to office and work. Then when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, almost the last stages, my boss tells me, what are you going to do? You're not a doctor, you cannot help, but you can help me. Client and client wants you, needs you. I want you, I need you. So why don't you travel outside to Los Angeles? Those times, it used to be a huge ego rush. I am so, so much in demand. But each such incident left its own taste in my mouth. Slowly and slowly, the resentment started building up. Till one fine day, I am in Dubai, I'm alone over there, and I had to be rushed to Zilekha Hospital only to be diagnosed with a stress induced cardiac block. I have a moment, but I'm losing consciousness. I heard the doctor tell the nurse, nurse, get the deep clinical. And answer I said, what's the point of all this? I am getting all the ego rushes, but when I want to spend time with my loved ones, can't do that. And what would be the point of it if I just die one day like this? I wouldn't have lived my life for those I love. So I knew I had to make a drastic change. And then the question is, people have asked me, Anil, 
couldn't you have just scaled back and taken a backseat role in any IT organization and been on a job? I said, I know myself. Best is to leave that. And then what do I do? So coincidentally, a couple of years before this incident, I had already learned and I become very good at it. I was working with people, coaching them, even conducting small trainings, just out of my own passion. I said, I'll get it. So when the switch happened, that I will quit the IT industry and get into this, that happened in an instant. But there is a history of build-up as to what drove me to do this. People often think that you get into entrepreneurship because you want to make more money, you want to have more freedom. No, none of those. Yes, freedom, eventually, yes, that's a consequence. But what drove me was the question of how I want to live my life. Everything else is a bonus. It's a consequence. You've created for us to consider that sometimes our entrepreneurial journey can come from an internal reflection or even a paint in your case. The question was, how do I want to live? And like you shared, having this high-powered job where you are very much wanted in different places for different projects. But then there was this question about what is the value of my time if I'm not able to spend time with my mother, I'm not able to take care of my health, I'm not able to be with my loved ones. How do I want to live? And that's an important question. You had those questions in 2010 or earlier which at that point, we didn't necessarily have the general agreement in society. Today, yes. it's acceptable that you talk about your time and what is the value of my time. You articulated that it's important to know ourselves and especially our own limits. In response to your friends asking, why couldn't you have taken another job? Anil, thank you for sharing that journey that you took to pivot to being an entrepreneur. It's like you said, right? It wasn't the norm accepted in society in this side of the world. Mm. Wasn't it? So all my friends said, you're an idiot. You don't have it in you. You've never done business. What are you getting into? Why are you doing this? You have such a great job. And I'm being very, how should I say, diplomatic in using words of what they said. My own wife of that time turned extremely nasty. Uh, at some point of I was questioning, is it worth it? I want to live life with someone that I love, but then this person is, where is the love one? It's not there anymore. But then I said, no, it's still worth it because I'm doing something which has a larger meaning. And long story short, a lot of those people who were my friends at that time, they're no longer there in my life. Sometimes it's time to move on. Yes. Did you have any other challenges after that? Once you decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Life will create its own situations to move on. Last year, I think you had spoken, right? The divorce got finalized and I moved out of that apartment. So did I face challenges at a personal level or not? Did I face business challenges? I think yes, who wouldn't? Especially the fact is that I had never done business. I didn't know what business is. I did not know what selling is. I took up an IT job because I didn't want to get into sales. And here I am doing a livelihood through sales. So did I go through that learning journey? Of course I did. I think I will call those as learning journey and not as challenges because that's just what it is. That's an important piece because ultimately if we run a business, if we can relate to it like a learning journey, part of being an entrepreneur to learn versus looking at it as a challenge, then we'll be empowered. For a few years now, you've been mentoring 
and running a one-year program where you work with entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs. And what's typically their challenge when they come to you? To stuck up on their product, their service, what I can do, what my product does, nobody gives a damn. Get out of your head and get into your client's mind. Everything has to be about the client. Do your service, your product. It's just going to fit into what the client wants and needs. Wants and needs, not just needs. Everybody needs coaching. Nobody wants to buy coaching. So stop selling coaching. You can't sell it. The fact that some other people are able to sell it as coaching, you don't know what they have done. Yeah. So stop. The biggest shift people need to make in their mind is this. The day this shift happens, they don't need any more teaching, any more guidance. They don't need any more mentoring. After that, they just need, Anil, do you know how I can do this? I know, I'll tell them. That's the biggest struggle people have. Even I would have had that struggle. I wouldn't have realized it at that point of time. That's insightful because when I reflect back with the time that I've spent with wannabe entrepreneurs as well as in my own business, as entrepreneurs, we often fall in love with our own product and services. And that's not going to carry the day. Like you said, we have to be interested in what the customer needs, what the customer wants, and what's the customer's world like. And only when we are willing to empathize with their concerns and own their pain points, then we can have a service or a product that we can sell. And it's, in fact, the selling becomes a byproduct out of understanding exactly. what most needs. Yeah. Exactly. Talking about setbacks in life, I have a new book coming up. It's about how one can have a crisis-ready mindset. I talk about this four-step framework on crisis resilience mindset. But I wanted to discuss a little bit about personal challenges and how you dealt with challenges yourself. I think the first thing to recognize is that we label something as crisis only when we are in the thick of it. Once you come out of it and on the other side, and then when we look back at what we went through, we remember it, but it feels like, okay, I mean, was it really a crisis or was it just something we had to go through? So we end up labeling something as crisis only when we are in that situation. Mm. But after we've come out of that situation, at least for me, okay, it was a journey I went through and these are the lessons learned. That's it. So from that perspective, if I were to reflect upon it, what I would label as my biggest crisis would be the troubled phase that my daughter went through as soon as she turned a teenager and is still going. Yes, I've accepted there is a troubled phase. Okay, so acceptance is there. Action, a lot of action we've taken. The thing has worked. So have I come to the actualization? I don't even know what actualization means. Maybe if you were to label actualization as uh, spiritually accepting the path, the grand design, maybe yes. Actualization as in have things turned around? No. Okay. So that's one situation which I would say I'm still struggling. I'm being open about it. Now people will think that, oh, you're such a big entrepreneur and you've got it all made in life. Fact is, even the most successful business owner, Tony Robbins, Jeff Bezos, whoever, everyone has something that they are struggling with. That's the nature of human existence. So to expect that, oh, once I become the successful entrepreneur, I will not have any struggles. 
That's a frail expectation. Thank you for being so open in this conversation. We can have success in some areas of our life, but in another area, we could actually experience that we have no control over a particular situation. In this particular instance, as parents, we have to be the people who can empower our children. Yet at the same time, they're making the day-to-day choices on what they do with their lives. So it's a struggle. But moving on, what do you do typically in a crisis for yourself in those situations where you've been able to work things out and come out of the crisis situation? Usually, in my case, the journey from awareness to acceptance to action is fairly quick. I'll attribute that characteristic back to my IT industry experience. My reputation was to turn around projects that were in crisis. So awareness, of course, everybody is aware there is crisis. Acceptance, that's why I've been brought in. So let's just move into action. Let's figure it out. Turning around from a crisis is actually a mechanical process. It's a repeatable process. Fact-finding is the first step to it. So when we talk about action, they can also be broken down. First step has to be fact-finding. All the facts. Most of the crisis that I have discovered, be it project management crisis, even life management crisis, is because you do not have all the facts with you. The day you have all the facts, all you have to do is you have to compartmentalize the fact, like a project schedule, like a you know, per chart, Gantt chart, you have to sequence those things, those facts, put them in order. And then, of course, you need to have a vision of how you want life to be. Okay, because... Putting the facts in sequence, in order, tells you where you are. Having a vision tells you where you want to be. And boom, everything else is then mechanical. What do you need to do to get from here to there? That's it. And then the process, uh, get the acceptance from all the stakeholders. That's the other big challenge. So any crisis management can suffer from only two obstacles. One is not having all the facts. And second is not getting agreement and buying from one or more stakeholders. Very nice. You can use this for work-related project management or even life-related crisis because all these things are relevant. Number one, fact-finding, making sure you get all the facts around that situation. And number two, making sure that we get the buy-in from all the relevant stakeholders because even if it is just one stakeholder who is not bought in, then that whole process doesn't happen. As someone who runs a NLP coaching academy where you train other people to be coaches and you also train people in corporates, you work with a lot of people, both men and women. Can you share for especially young people who are coming into the workforce two or three tips to develop their leadership qualities? What would you advise them to do? Be in the present moment. Respond to what's needed now. I'm choosing the words carefully. Respond. I'm not using the word act. Because in my mind, the distinction is act means it's my need to act. Leadership is not about what my need is. Leadership is about what the situation need. And you respond to that need. You don't act, you respond. For that, you have to be aware, present of what is needed right now. Not think what you need. Be aware of what's needed. You know, there's a difference between what I think and what I become aware of. Think is again coming from my thoughts, my perception. Awareness is about noticing the outside. What's beyond my thoughts? Often we act on what we perceive as the situation. 
from our own thoughts and our own feelings. What you're suggesting is that take that moment to look outside, to sense what is really happening with the situation, and then take the action of which is needed in that moment. What would young people do to develop that ability? Because I don't think schools teach them that. It's one of those things which has become either people are all for it, so it is okay. People can have their own understanding about it. Or people are all against it. So yes. depending on which part of the spectrum your listeners are, they will either like what I said or they'll dislike what I said. But they could be curious. Meditation could provide an access to having a greater awareness about what is happening outside of ourselves as well. It's like this, right? Most of the time, people are not aware about what's happening on the outside. They think they know. But all they know is through the perception of their mind. Hmm. And what meditation does is it takes you on an inner journey to become aware of your mind. Then you can start seeing beyond it. Otherwise, you can only see through it. Since we're on the topic of meditation, I want to discuss spirituality. Perhaps you could share what spirituality means to you and where you are in that journey. If I were to sum up spirituality, two words that come to my mind is acceptance and awareness. Acceptance of everything as is. Just, it is. Okay, there is a struggle. It is. Okay, I am getting angry. It is. The moment you say, there should not be a struggle, something has to be fixed, people should not get angry. All of those are notions which deny the acceptance. It's like this, right? If people don't want to be angry, the more they try not to be angry, the worse it gets. The paradox is when you accept is as it is, things suddenly solve themselves. Mm. And awareness goes back to what's on the outside, beyond your mind. Beyond your mind, you'll realize there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no good, there is no bad, there is no struggle, there is no easiness. It just is. Whether it's easy, it's easy because your mind made it easy. It's a struggle it's because your mind made it a struggle. And to see that game of the mind is awareness. Right. That's an interesting way to look at awareness, that it is awareness to see the game of the mind. It's a curious thought. The mind plays games, for sure. We have to be willing to consider and go beyond that game that it is playing with us. What else do you do in your spiritual practices and how do you keep yourself centered? Meditation. Meditation. Lovely. And how long have you been doing meditation for? Oh, I think I started way back in 2009 without knowing what I was doing was meditation. Often people think that meditation is this great big activity to be done. No, it's some of the most simple things of life. Lay down on your bed and just focus on your breathing and become aware of your breathing. Just become aware. You don't have to count. Now, this is my first breath. This is my thing. Just sit and notice. And let's say you have a flower. And you take the time to notice the colors of all the petals, the shape, how one petal falls over another. That's meditation. Why? Because you're noticing. Yeah. Noticing is very powerful. What else do you do beyond meditation? Well, I used to be a fitness freak and using the word for essays. So a lot of weight, strength training, developing muscles, developing of his unique. I haven't done that since COVID started. I'm also adapting to the new way of living. So I'm still, you know, that in this new way of living, what's my life vision? That's yet to be. What I wanted, I got. So what's Mm. next? When that vision develops, then everything becomes a means to the vision. Then you're driven by the vision. And things just happen automatically. 
That's right. And if I may just ask, so how are you going to get insights into what's that next life vision? How are you looking? Are you just being aware moment by moment that you will have that realization? Are you going into like 10-day meditation retreat? How can one get an insight into their life's vision? Aware moment by moment, yes, that's what I'm doing. Last year, my divorce happened and I moved out. Now, up until then, I had all these plans, business plan, back plan, etc., etc., etc. And that's where awareness also, right? Why did I have all those plans? Because there were certain situations over there, which were like, okay, this is a situation, I don't want to deal with it, so I'll keep myself busy in the plan. All right, so now I'm out of those situations, I'm empty. Now what these plans, how are they serving? Okay, so everywhere, the question, how are they serving me, draws a blank. So then the other question is, how can I be of service to others? Again, there the question comes, Anil, if it is your need to service others, okay, you're still in yourself. Okay, so what's next? What's next is when people approach me and they say this is the need and I respond to them moment to moment, that's when the quality of fulfillment is the highest. Now, does this mean that I have no plan? Well, I have a vision, a faint vision at this point of time that this is the way I'm going to be of service, not coming from my need, but coming from the need of whoever finds me. How can I best serve them? Will I go out and introduce myself to more and more people in the world? Yes, of course. So I have this set routine every Thursday. I invite people for a webinar and I make a presentation of my work. But that is just mechanical. I have to do it. I have to spread the word. And then whoever needs me will come along my way. And they ask me of how I can be of service to them. And that's how it will work. So there is this faint vision, but there's no quick black. Right. I took away a lot of things from this conversation. And the first thing is an insight that sometimes we are busy with plans because we are trying to cope with the current situation, which we may not actually enjoy. But sometimes we may even enjoy it. So we have plans around that. And the interesting thing is that when the situation changes, then we have this space to invent ourselves and our life. What you're also sharing is that to be of service and to have fulfilling moments is to live in the moment. Have a vision, work on plans so that like your Thursday sessions, you yeah. can actually start to take step by step, getting closer to how you can fulfill other people's needs as well. Can one live a simple life today? And what is a simple life for you? To me, a simple life is a state of mind. Too often people make it about the outside. Simple life means basic home, just the bare necessities, your own garden, whatever. Everybody has their own definition of simple life. But most of these definitions are based on what's on the outside. If you're simple inside the mind, then you could be in the most complex of situations. Doesn't matter. You're simple. Yeah. Whether you have a lot of money, palaces, cars, you can still be simple. You don't have any of those. Still, you can be simple. Giving up all the luxuries, what has that got to do with simple? Nothing. Or what is having all the luxuries got to do with being simple? Nothing. That's also another interesting way to look at simple life as a state of mind and not as a measure of our external assets, conveniences or aspirations. 
Because if it's a state of mind, then we can always have a simple life, irrespective of what our circumstances are and our position in life is. Simplicity, becoming aware of what's going on in your mind. To me, that's central to the biggest, best states that you would like to have. How do you get there? How do you become aware of what's going on in the mind? Meditation is definitely one way. And neuro-linguistic programming is a model using which you can understand the structures of your mind and your structures of your thinking process. So meditation is great in becoming aware. And then NLP is what can develop your competence and skill of this awareness. So you can understand the structure, the paradigms that somebody is coming from. You're aware of what's going on. But what do you do with that awareness? How do you bring about ships? Aware that there is this fantastic car with such a superb engine that it can really perform well in any condition. Okay, I'm aware. But do I have the skill to be able to use it? Can I drive it? Do I understand all the controls, how they work? That's where NLP plays a role because it helps you understand the structure of thinking and how you can, I don't want to use the word control, but how you can leverage the structure of thinking to bring about shifts at a structural level. So meditation for the awareness about the external environment and also of yourself in that external environment. But more importantly, how do we actually develop the competency and the skills to be able to then cause the shifts, whether it's our thinking or in our action or in our results with ourselves, with others. And that's where you use NLP in supporting people to be effective in life. So the metaphor which comes to our mind is you have become aware that there are curtains on the window. So you have become aware, you can see through it. Now you want to remove those curtains. You need to know where the neighbors are, where the buttons are. Right. Otherwise, you won't be able to remove it. Mm. You'll be able to see through that, see beyond them, but you can't remove it. When you learn these structures, when you learn the buttons, you can remove it once and for all. Right. Wonderful. And what would thriving look like for you? You can achieve the simple life in your mind. Yes, why not? That would be thriving. Yes. In everything. That's true. If you can bring that a simple life mindset to everything. Yeah. It is also bringing the highs as well as bringing the lows to equilibrium and not being impacted by the high or the low because everything is kept at that balance, right? Bringing a balance between the highs and the lows rather like a surfer. Mm -hmm. The surfer rides the highs with equal skill and equal enjoyment and the lows with equal skill and equal enjoyment. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this for us. We have listeners from all over Asia. We hope that they all find it useful, different aspects of the conversations that we are having with the different people who have been our guests. Thank you then, Anil. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Ramesh and Mr. Anil Dagia. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Anil's story and have picked up some useful business and life insights for yourself. Next, we hop down under to Australia with Ms. Amanda Ralph, a product strategist and leader who's recognized as one of the region's leading women in product management. Thank you for listening and be sure to follow Dr. Ramesh on LinkedIn so that you'll be alerted every time our new podcast episode comes out on thriving in the age of disruption.